Welcome to this week's The Good, The Bad, and The Yummy. Here we go. Welcome. You're on air with Ella, where we share simple strategies and truths from people who are doing something better than we are. Whether it's wellness or fitness and fat loss to just living better and with more energy or changing your mindset to accomplish more in your own life and succeeding however you define it. This is where we share the best of what we're learning from the experts and we're learning more every day. Live better, start now. Hey, you're on air with Ella, and it's the good, the bad, and the yummy, and I'm so glad to be back with this. I have some really cool stuff to share with you today, but first, a moment of gratitude. This is a big, fat shout-out and thank you to Penny, to Ashley, to Camille, to Christina, to Emily, to Ellen, to Erica, to Gia, to Mari, to Leah, to Christine. Those are the patrons of the On Air with Ella show. And you guys have no idea how important you are to me. I think I spent $920 getting this show recorded, produced, etc., etc. last month. And without the help of my patrons, I would pretty much be out of it by now. <laughs> I would, I would pretty much be sunk by now because it's just not financially viable for me to just sort of keep doing this out of pocket. And I thank you so much for my first round of patrons. You guys are badass. I want to read a quick testimonial from Christine. She said, there should be way more listeners and followers supporting you. It's great that you offer your podcast for free, but I would certainly buy you a cup of coffee every month to listen to you. That more than justifies a $3 a month monthly pledge from me. So Christine, may more people agree with you. I think that is such a lovely way to think of it. I appreciate your contribution so much and all of you whose names I just shared. You guys are amazing. Okay, this week I am going to be talking about a topic that I have received so many inquiries about. Now, you know I like to keep these shows relatively short. That's the beauty of the good, the bad, and the yummy. So I'm going to skim across the surface, if you will, of a topic. And if you want more, let me know, and I'll do a full episode on this topic, okay? But here's the deal. Normally, I do the good, then I do the bad, then I do the yummy. But this week, I'm going to start with the bad, just to shake things up, just to keep it fresh, because it leads into a happy good. Here's the deal. The bad this week is dairy milk. That's right, milk from a cow. A lot of times in podcasts and health and wellness spheres and that sort of thing, you just hear no dairy, dairy free, dairy is the devil. And a lot of times people don't explain why and they don't make any distinction. Well, I am here to tell you today that not all dairy is created equal. I'm going to be pretty hard on milk, though. I've got to be honest with you. So every time I refer to milk in the next little while, unless I say otherwise, I'm talking about cow's milk, okay? Cow's milk, regular and organic, all right, it does not matter, has, according to the research that I looked up, 59 active hormones, tons of allergens, and probably measurable quantities of herbicides, pesticides, powerful antibiotics that were fed to the cattle that end up in the milk, blood pus, feces, bacteria, and viruses. Now, the internet can be full of scare tactics and fear-mongering in order to make its point whenever it wants to. 
But in this case, the research behind store-bought, generically mass-produced milk, the research is coming out pretty consistent, all right? So understanding that when we buy milk from cows who are raised in a factory farm situation, we are getting whatever that cow is consuming, right? So they're given, they are pumped full of growth hormones. They are pumped full of antibiotics. This is not omitted from the milk that is produced by their bodies. So one example would be standard dairy cows are medicated with bovine growth hormone to stimulate a much higher than normal milk production, okay? Not only do they want larger animals, they want higher than normal milk production. So this can result in a lot of infections in the cows. It's not great for them. So the infection is then treated with antibiotics, which is then also fed into the milk. So you're getting bovine growth hormone, which is not like human growth hormone, which is good. This is bovine growth hormone, which is not good for you unless you are trying to take on a bovine-like physical manifestation. We are also taking in their antibiotics. There are a couple other things about just the nutritional makeup of milk that a lot of people don't know. Milk's actually really high sugar when you go for the lower fat and skim milk varieties. Wait, what? You thought you were drinking skim milk because it's better for you? No. Sugar contributes to about 55% of skim milk's calories, giving it ounce for ounce the same calorie load as a soda, for example. This isn't about the calories, it's about the ratio. So about 55% of skim milk's calories are actually sugar in the form of lactose. Fuller fat milk is actually better for you in that regard because it has a more balanced profile. But whether you're buying skim milk or 2% or whole milk or whatever kind of standard dairy milk that you are buying, you could very well be suffering for it. About 75% of the world's population is genetically unable to properly digest milk, and that's called lactose intolerance. A lot of people get lactose intolerance as they age when they didn't have it in their youth. 75% of people have trouble digesting milk. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit more about this, but there's something else that I want you to know. It's not just the ingredients that come from the cow. It's not just the sugar load that you're getting when you remove the fat from milk. And it's not just the fact that your body might have trouble processing it. I want to talk to you about how milk is made and how it ends up on that grocery store shelf. You will see in most cases that grocery milk is pasteurized and homogenized. This gives it a longer shelf life at the expense of the nutrients that milk used to be purported to offer. Pasteurization is different than homogenization. I want to explain each to you. The pasteurization process kills the live and beneficial enzymes in milk and destructures the proteins. It's a heating process, all right, and it wipes out the live enzymes and destructures the proteins that comprise milk. In doing so, it reduces the vitamin content dramatically and it kills the live and active cultures that are supposed to be healthy, healthy for you. Also, side note, milk, at least in America, is sold as the best source for calcium and that is baloney. Many vegetables and nuts and fish have way more calcium than milk. So let's set the calcium argument aside. 
So back to pasteurization. Pasteurization is the process of heating milk up and then quickly cooling it down to eliminate certain bacteria. Pasteurization was instituted in the 1920s to combat tuberculosis, infant diarrhea, and other diseases that were caused by poor animal nutrition and dirty production methods. But times have changed and modern stainless steel tanks and milking machines and refrigerated trucks and inspection methods, those all make pasteurization absolutely unnecessary for public protection according to the people who argue against it. But let's talk about homogenization. When milk is homogenized, it's pushed through a pressure system, okay? And they apply about 4,000 pounds of pressure per square inch. That's a lot of pressure. And what it does is the fat globules that are in the milk naturally, they're made really, really small and become evenly dispersed throughout the milk. And that means the milk doesn't separate when it is on the shelf. So it gives it the consistency so that the milk doesn't separate. Back in the day, when milk used to be delivered to one's doorstep, it would separate. And if you've ever seen raw milk, it separates. But when you homogenize milk, it doesn't. It stays in its pretty and shelf acceptable form. Fine, right? Except that fat, when it's subjected to high heat and to pressure, it oxidizes, it becomes rancid. Small wonder that so many of us have trouble digesting it and are likely not benefiting from it in the way that you might think that you would. So homogenation makes fat molecules in milk smaller and they become capsules for substances that are able to bypass digestion. So proteins that would normally be digested in the stomach are not broken down and instead they are absorbed into the bloodstream. The homogenation process breaks up an enzyme in milk, which in its smaller state can then enter the bloodstream and react against arterial walls. So this causes the body to protect the area with a layer of cholesterol. If this only happened once in a while, it wouldn't be a big concern, but if it happens regularly, then there are long-term risks. So proteins were created to be easily broken down by digestive processes. Homogenation disrupts this and ensures their survival so that they enter the bloodstream. Many times the body reacts to foreign proteins by producing histamines and then mucus. Sometimes homogenized milk proteins resemble a human protein and can become triggers for autoimmune diseases such as diabetes, multiple sclerosis, cancer, and heart disease. I will link to the article that I'm quoting from so that you can read more about this if of interest. But the long and the short of it is that I wanted you to understand that the nutrient profile for store-bought dairy milk is just not there. We think this is such a good thing to give to our kids, and it's not there. But then when you look at the process by which it's produced, that begins with a factory farm, in most cases, where the animals are kept in pretty horrid conditions. And then they are pumped full of drugs, both growth hormones and antibiotics. And then their breast milk, if you will, is then prepared for retail by being pasteurized and homogenized. Both processes then contribute a general lack of wellness and a product that's not only not helping you, but very likely hurting you. And for the record, I have never been a fan of milk just ever since I was a child. It was never something that I enjoyed drinking, but I gave my son pretty much nothing but a big old jug of milk for the first five years of his life. He drank water and milk after he 
was done breastfeeding. So please do not think I'm standing on some holier than thou mountain telling you not to feed milk to your children and not to consume it. I did. I just wish I hadn't. And he suffered from a lot of allergies that bothered him in his his nose and his head and his throat. And when I dumped milk, dairy milk from his diet, a huge amount of that cleared up. And I didn't understand why until much more recently and understanding that milk is very mucus creating. So it's hard on your digestive tract. It creates mucus in the body and it's also very acidic. That's a very, very quick and dirty take on why I'm not a fan of dairy milk. Let me throw out some alternatives very quickly. A lot of people, when you go look into alternatives to milk, will say, well, try rice milk and try goat milk and try soy milk. I'm not a fan of soy milk because of the high levels of estrogen and the amount of pesticides that are used on soy. So I'm not a fan of that at all. Rice milk and goat milk, I mean... (laughs) (laughs) If you love them, that is amazing. I'm so happy for you, but those don't do anything for me. I don't know about you. So almond milk and coconut milk are my two go-tos. I have found coconut milk the best alternative when I'm cooking and something requires dairy. I will go to coconut milk because it doesn't have much flavor at all. Almond milk, store-bought almond milk is not great. I mean, to be totally honest with you, there's very little almond in store-bought almond milk. So I am not suggesting that almond milk is a great replacement for dairy milk. I'm just telling you it is what I actually use, that and coconut milk. And we don't drink it, but again, I use it when I am making dishes that require a bit of creaminess to them. But there's good news here. And I was having a conversation recently with a friend of mine, and she noticed that I was eating cheese on something. And she said, but I thought you didn't do dairy. And I said, oh, I hate milk. I don't do milk. I think it's gross, and I don't like it, and blah, blah, blah. And she said but cheese. And I said, oh yeah, I have cheese from time to time. I mean, I used to have it all the time, but I realized that it's a little rough on my digestive system and it's mucus producing and all that good stuff. But no, I'm not religious about avoiding cheese. And she said, oh, I could go no dairy so much more easily if I didn't have to give up cheese. And I said, well, you don't have to give up anything, first of all. And it's not a binary choice. You can go milk-free and not give up cheese. And now I want to explain that to you. Here's why I'm not no dairy, even though you will hear me say no dairy, which is really a misnomer, because what I mean is no dairy milk. But cheese is a different story altogether. Of course, it's technically dairy in most cases, but so much of what makes dairy so problematic is actually absent from really good cheese. So lactose, for example, we talked about lactose intolerance, but cheese, however, when it's made, the lactose is converted into lactic acid in the cheese making process. And that lactic acid begins the curdling process that eventually results in the cheese. Okay. And very little lactose remains at the end. Sometimes trace amounts of lactose can trigger sensitive individuals, but cheese is usually fairly safe. So a good general rule is the longer a cheese is aged, the less lactose it will have. Aged cheeses like hard Parmesan or Swiss or cheddar cheese, they have way less lactose than younger cheeses or processed cheeses. Processed cheese, on the other hand, has much more lactose, just like regular milk, and sometimes it even has more. Processed cheese is arguably not even cheese. It belongs in its own category. But when you get well-made, you know, generally more expensive, hard cheeses, when you get those, you you may find that you don't have near the trouble you do if you eat a bowl of ice cream or drink a cup of milk. 
That is why some people can go to other countries and have a perfectly acceptable experience eating their cheese. So I might go to France and be able to eat the cheese there and have no ill effects and then come home and do the same thing here with something that's much more processed and, you know, sort of suffer for it. So that's just my quick and dirty take on why I will not touch dairy milk. And I don't recommend it for anybody really honestly who has digestive issues, who has skin trouble, acne, for example, for anyone who has an autoimmune disease and for anyone who doesn't want one. (laughs) So I'm pretty hard on dairy milk and the research is there to support it. I will link to real references in the show notes for this episode, okay? But do we have to kick cheese out the door? I'm not. I mean, certainly if you struggle from a severe intolerance to dairy, then you might struggle with even those aged cheeses. But personally, I dabble in cheeses. It used to be, like I said, sort of a staple in my diet. And now it is what I call an accessory. And there is no ban on cheese in my diet. And I cannot think of a single reason why I would deprive myself. Final tip, if you are consuming cheese and you don't do it very often or you have digestive issues, try taking a digestive enzyme or even some betaine HCL, that's hydrochloride, betaine HCL or a digestive enzyme or both when you know you're going to be consuming cheese. And a lot of times that helps with the digestion and the bloating. Okay, I will link to both of those in the show notes. All right. Along this line, I need to share with you a very startling discovery that I have made. This week's The Yummy is zucchini cheese. Now, perhaps you are hearing the words zucchini cheese and you just threw up a little bit in your mouth. Okay, sorry, that was gross. But the idea of being able to make cheese out of zucchini, I don't know, there's something that just sounds a little bit gross to me. Trust me when I tell you, you have to check this out and you've got to look at the pictures. If you just look at the pictures alone, you will be sold on this idea. Now, this is plant-based cheese, but it's not purely vegan, okay? It's not dressing up in a vegan disguise. It's actually got a little bit of gelatin in it and that is always animal sourced. But stick with me. The fact that you can create a very cheesy substance and eat boundless amounts of it is fascinating to me because, as I said, I moved cheese into the accessory category. And then the Internet comes along and says, oh, but Ella, you can enjoy cheddar cheese or or garlic and chive cheese or nacho cheese. And you can enjoy all of these things made from vegetables without any ill effects. Okay, internet, you've got my attention. Stephanie Dodier, who was recently on the show, she had a recipe for zucchini cheese, a term I had never heard in my life. And I started to do some digging. You guys, it's a real thing. And it makes cheese that looks like cheese. It is kind of beautiful. And I don't know if it tastes exactly like cheese, but it has a very similar consistency. And it's so easy to make. You just need to check it out. I'm going to make several variations this week and I will share them with you. Here are sort of the basics, okay, for what you need. And by the way, you can do this with carrots and zucchini. You can do this with cauliflower and zucchini. You can do it with squash and zucchini. And the one I'm going to share with you is sort of cheddar-like. And so it has got zucchini and then carrot or cauliflower. The carrot will give it that orange look that you're accustomed to with most cheddar. And so that's what I would recommend. So zucchini and carrot right? And then you need some fat. So that can be coconut oil or olive oil or even avocado oil. And then you need some ghee 
which is clarified butter and is another example of something that is technically in the dairy family, but does not offer near the same problems that dairy milk offers. It's clarified butter and it has almost no lactose in it. Okay. Coconut aminos, which I talked about in a recent good, bad, and yummy episode. And then you need an acid, whether it's lemon juice or raw apple cider vinegar, and then a little bit of salt. And then here's the other main ingredient, eight tablespoons of gelatin, And again, gelatin is always animal source. So if you're vegan, you can try agar, but I'm not talking about that right now. So gelatin is the magic ingredient here that's going to give it the cheese-like consistency. Now, I hope you guys know already that whenever I talk about a recipe, the actual real recipe and photos are on the website. So whatever this episode number is, in this case, 143, you would go to onairwithella.com and you would search 143 and this episode would pop up. Or you would just go to onairwithella.com forward slash 143 and it would pop up for you magically. Photos, this exact recipe, links to the products that I use, it's all right there in the show notes. If you are on your phone right now, and I'm pretty sure you are, you can just hit the full show description and you can go right to those links from your phone. Anyway, I say that because you don't want to memorize this. You want to just pull this up later. But all you do is you boil the vegetables, okay, and you drain them, and then you put them in the blender with the oil and the ghee and the acid and the sea salt. Then you add the gelatin and you blend it all until it's smooth. And then you pour it into a bread pan lined with parchment paper and you set it in the refrigerator overnight or for at least three hours. Again, it's stupid simple. You blend everything together, you pour it into this pan and you let it do its magic. Find the links, find the photos and find the ingredients at onairwithella.com episode 143. Okay, so thank you, Stephanie, for the tip. Thank you, Internet, for the many, many cheese recipes. I had no idea this thing existed, and I am going to dig in this week and experiment. I hope you do the same. If you do, tag me. I want to see your creations. Okay, that's it for this week's The Good, The Bad, and The Yummy. What's your take? Do you struggle with dairy milk? Did you cut it out of your life? Do your kids still drink it? Tell me where you are with this and how you feel about it. Tell me what works for you and what doesn't work for you. And then, of course, try some zucchini cheese and show me the photos. I'm dying to see what you guys make. Go have a great week. Love ya. Okay, everyone, I hope you enjoyed today's show and got something out of it that you can use. If you did and you want to learn more, just go to onairwithella.com, where I put up links to all of the good stuff that we talked about today and more information about our guests and all the good stuff that you did not need to write down today because I got you covered. Don't forget to join our Facebook page and thanks for those phenomenal reviews in iTunes. Every great review helps and we read every one. Thanks for listening and thanks for inspiring me. You are quite simply awesome.